Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Just pray over every person right now, God. Every person in this room that they would experience, God, a, a realness in you, a joy, a love, even, even a conviction, Lord, as we get to worship a beautiful, holy, powerful God. And within the same breath, as, as we're embraced by you, Father, with love and a certainty that you are with us, Jesus. And so, God, God, only you know the prayers that are on the hearts of your people. Only you know the burdens and the challenges and the shortcomings and the frustrations and even the joys. You know all of those things, God. And so this morning, we, we relinquish that to you. We, we give you complete surrender over all of who we are. We honor you this morning, Jesus. We ask you to be with us and to speak to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you guys can give it up. It's amazing. Thank you, worship team. You guys are awesome. You guys may be seated. Thank you, Thomas. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing good? Right on. Brandon, you probably can lower me just a tad bit. You guys doing good? Good? All right. Hey, well, I'm, I'm so excited uh, as we continue. We're going right in. We're going to jump in because we got a lot to cover today. Um, if you weren't with us last week, we decided to, to go through this journey of the book of 1 John. So John is the apostle. Uh, he is one of the disciples of Jesus, right? And so uh, not to be confused with the gospel of John, although John wrote the gospel of John. So John, we're in 1 John and... I just wanted to make a, a slight correction of what I talked about last week if we're when we're looking at the context. Um, I, I shared that, uh, that John is writing to a specific church of Ephesus, and I was wrong, so I apologize. He's actually writing to a whole uh, handful of churches, to a whole region of churches. So it's not just a specific place like Coin Church. It's a whole region of people. And so uh, as, as a pastor, as, as an apostle, he's seeing things that are happening and taking place. And so he's sort of bringing this counterformation of discipleship of those that know Jesus, have heard about him, and are discovering more of who he is. And so last week we talked about this eternal life and this everlasting love. And this week we go a, a, a bit deeper. We're going to cover a little bit of chapter 2 but this is what the scripture says. I'm going to be reading all the way to, to chapter 2, verse 6, starting at chapter 1, verse 5. So chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Powerful claim, right? If we claim to have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, that is God, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, we have communion, we have connection, we have koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim 
To be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yet, the good news, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, John says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and we know we all will and do, we have an advocate with the Father, and that is Jesus, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Really, really dense stuff here. All right, so that's why, again, I wanted to do this in the summer months because I feel like those that are committed and want to be at church and want to learn are going to be here because this is a lot to digest, and I'm going to do my best to preach this, to encourage you, but this is much more a teaching type of conversation, right? And I I want, again, I shared this last week, I I want our church as we grow, right, so we're like four years old right now, so picture a four-year-old. We're four years old, but we need to start learning because we can't just take milk all the time. We need some solid food. And so this is our attempt as we, as we dive deeper in, in radical discipleship towards Jesus to actually learn what this book says and what the Bible says and how this applies to our life and, and, and how we can actually live this out as it, it kind of is in us. So if I had a title or a conversation today to encourage you, if you're taking notes, The title of this conversation would be Light and Darkness. Light and Darkness. Just jumping right in, in verse 5, it says this. John says, this is the message we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So just just off off the start, again, we're going to geek out and dive into the Greek here of what he means by light. And so... As we, as we go deeper, this, this Greek word is properly translated um, a, manif- a manifestation, right? So especially in terms as it, is, its result is a, a man, it manifests, this light is doing something. But in, in the New Testament, the manifestation, it, it's this. It's the manifestation of God's self-existent life. So when you read that word light, it's... The manifestation of God's self-existent life. So in other words, God is this self-existent life. We talked about this last week. He, he is logos. He, he is the word. He is, he is this Zoe to us, right? He's this abundant life to us. And in him, we only and can only find eternal life. And it goes deeper. It's also this word light, divine illumination, to reveal and impart life through Christ. So John's making a very deep claim here. He's saying that God, God is light, and this light is Jesus. And, and this Jesus, what he has done, and he, he's imparted, he's revealed to us the divine. The divine is light, and that light is Jesus. So that's why this this changes so much for me as I look at this with the theological lens, but also as I reflect on this, as I'm walking and doing my day-to-day life in the mess of life, in the busyness of life, and 
in the chaos of life, right? Now having two little ones, I was telling someone earlier, it's like we've added another hour to just getting ready and doing anything. It's like life is crazy. Life is chaotic at times. Life is busy. And, and with school, and some of you guys are in school, and some of you are in relationship and wanting to get married, and then you're in full-time work or you're trying to make it. It's just like what is going on in all of this chaotic life? But if you sit still for a moment, you participate with the divine, right? You have an idea of the logos. What I would encourage you to sit on for a moment is that God is light. In your day-to-day life, in your everyday, ordinary, mundane life, as it seems, you participate when you step into his goodness, when you receive who Jesus is, who he really is in your life, when you begin to obey what he says to do, you are participating with light, with light itself. And then it goes deeper, right? This word, light, that's what, the, that's what frustrates me about the Greek. I know this is kind of the same with Spanish. It's like one word can mean a bunch of things. Um, I guess for us in English, it's like love can mean a bunch of things, right? So here's, here's a, a deeper definition of light. It's the extremely delicate, subtle, pure, spotless, and holiness of God. God is subtle, pure, he's spotless, and he's holy. God is holy. Especially, watch this, the saving truth embodied in Christ and by his love and effort imparted to mankind. That's what this light does. It's this truth. It's this holiness. It's this beckoning that draws us out of the darkness and into something completely different. The source of pure life itself and pure goodness, that's what God is. That's who God is. Again, in Genesis, God said what? Let there be light. And he saw then that it was good, right? So there is, there is no hint. That's his claim here. There is no hint of darkness in God, by the way. None whatsoever. That's what he's saying. I mean, he's, he's, he's an apostle of God, right? So I'm going to listen to what John says. John is saying that God has no hint of evil or wickedness or darkness in him. It's not even in his nature. It can't even happen. It won't even make sense. It's not even logical when you look at the character of God. There is no hint of darkness in him. And that's actually really good news for us, by the way. He's the opposite of darkness. He's the opposite of wickedness. He is light. Here we see the contrast painted throughout the scriptures of good versus evil, right? Good and evil, light and darkness. And and I've shared this before. It is not a a dualistic theology, meaning who's going to win this battle? Is it God God or is it the enemy? Is it good or is it? We already know who wins. We're living in that victory right now. And yet there will always be and has always been sort of this, this pull and tug or else John wouldn't write about it, right? You see, this is the story of our lives, by the way, isn't it? I mean, let's just be really honest. Like, we're in church, we've got to be honest. There is always this tug of good and evil in us, within us, of right and wrong, of just and unjust, of anger, of peace, of hostility, of frustration, and we, we wrestle and we tug and we pull. You see, God, God knew On our own merit, we would lose, but he wouldn't. 
This is what John's trying to say to us, and literally in that God is love, in light part. I got a question for you in this. Have you ever met someone, and they're like super good? They're just like, man, you're a good person, and they seem like they got everything situated, and they just like seem like they couldn't hurt a butterfly or a, or a fly. I mean, they're just like so pure and holy and good, and then you begin to do life with them, and you realize like, oh my gosh, there's some things that aren't good about you. Or like, what about maybe that's, that's maybe, maybe me, that's me in my life, right? I'm like, oh, I'm doing so good, and everything's going great, and then there's like this hint of really deep darkness in me. Which, by the way, we think, oh, that can't be me, that, that'll never be me. This wickedness or this darkness, this evil, when you look at Holocaust, right, when you look at what happened in, in, in the Soviet Union with all of the craziness and the wickedness in the gas chambers and like all this wickedness that mankind could sum up and then we sit back and we're like man that would I, how could anyone ever do that and yet that that evil darkness is is in you as well it just isn't manifested it's not just it's just not a compound of sin but but we're just pretty dark people to begin with you're like thanks Sammy glad I came to church this morning but I'm trying, I'm trying to go somewhere with you on this. The thing about all of that is that won't ever happen with God. Ever. It can't. It's not possible. God is not darkness. He is the very, he is light. And by the way, this is great ground for joy. He says that in, in chapter one, he says at the very end, we write this to make our joy complete. There is joy in this good news that the God you serve is faithful and he's just, and you can count on him, by the way. You can count on God. But then you're like, well, what about the wickedness and what about the evil and what about the injustice that, that is taking place? You see, he, God does not delight in injustice, by the way. He, he doesn't. It's, it's not in him. The scripture makes it very clear all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that he will come back to redeem justice as a good judge does. So man or son, woman or daughter, father, mother, brother, sister, hear this. You may have already been hurt or others have been unfaithful or broken or messed, did a deep work in you or wrong to you. But God will never be unfaithful to you. That is really good news, by the way. It's not in his nature. It's not possible. That's phenomenal news, right? Okay, it's, which leads to like the not so good news. Uh, it's, 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 it's just the hard truth of reality. And, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't want to go into tangent here, but I, I've been listening to, I was talking to Lorenzo about this. I've been listening to Jordan Peterson's second book, Beyond Order, which I highly recommend. I just, it's just, it just helps you think through things. Anyway, he, he was talking about this, this young girl uh, that he, he was doing therapy with, and she basically, he, he's calling her sleepy, sleeping beauty because she medicates her days every single day because she's so terrified of the world around her. And he goes on to say it was the Maleficent in this Sleeping Beauty's life. She's like in her 20s. She can't graduate college. She can't really do anything. She sleeps more than she actually lives. And the problem was that Maleficent in, in her life was the mom because the mom was like a tyrant and controlling of her. But the mom taught this girl that there's no evil in the world. 
Like, imagine if you grew up not thinking there's any evil. You're like, even now, you're like, that's so silly. Who would do that? Well, that happens, right? Imagine growing up and realizing you have no evil in you. You have no wickedness in you. Or, or you have no sin in you. Of course we have that. We see it on a regular. All you have to do is sit long enough with your thoughts and sort of realize like, oh, man, this is going really bad really quick, even just in my thoughts alone. The bad news is while God is holy and just and pure and light, we're sinners. That's like, that's just the truth. God's amazing and light and, and he draws us in and he's good and he's pure and he loves you. He will never be unfaithful to you. But in the same breath, we are like pretty sinful beings. That's what John's trying to say to you, by the way, and to us. Nine times from 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 2, John mentions sin. Nine times. Let me read it to you. I have it here in, in pink on my highlight. It says this, Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deny ourselves. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, and then he goes on to say, we'll forgive us of our sins. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, chapter 2, verse 1, so that you will not sin. And then he says, if anybody does sin, and then he goes on to say in verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and then he ends with, but also for the sins of the world. Sin, 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 sin. Ah, crazy. Nine times. If you do any type of biblical, you know, uh, expository work, you, you would know in the literary analysis, whenever an author is trying to say something over and over and over, using the same word multiple times, he's trying to say something. So what's John trying to say to us? Man, there's like sin out there. But don't be deceived. The sin is in here as well. Much so in here. I've talked about it. They use different language. It's like the dragon within, right? It's the shadow side, Carl Jung would say. It's just like so deeply ingrained in us. I mean, all you got to do is look at the mirror long enough and you're like, oh, man, that's like it's getting dark really fast. And maybe it's minuscule, maybe it's small, maybe it's not that big of a deal to you, right? And remember what sin is. Sin is the delineation of the image of God in you. Sin is the separation between you and God, between a holy, just, righteous, good, pure, loving God, and then, and then us who already kind of mess things up because of our sin. That's the relationship we have, but that seems like really bad news, right? Of course it is, absolutely. John is clearly addressing people who are saying, Watch this, verse 8. They have no sin. He's addressing people in the church that say, I have no sin. Verse 10, or they're saying, I have not sinned. Whenever we think, desire, or act against what God's word says to do, that is sin, right? It deforms us. It's, a, it's, a, it's just deforming us from the image of God when he made us and he said, this is good. And we see in the Genesis account, the distortion of that good is complete disobedience to God, right? So we have a problem then, right? This is like a bad problem. How can a just, pure, and holy God, that is his, in his very nature light, be just and kind to us? Have you ever thought about that? I just want to take you through a theological rant for a second. Have you thought about that concept yet? 
How can a just, pure, holy, good, powerful, the same God that God wouldn't even allow Moses to fully see him? He just saw the side of him and he was like light. He was, he was blinded by the light of who God was to just pass by him. How could that God be kind to us if we're really bad? We often say stuff like this. God, how can you punish sinners? How can you tell me, how can you, God, tell me what's wrong and right in my life? How dare you tell me what to do with my life? How can you let people go to hell? Have you ever thought of that one? Those are all thoughts I've thought, deeply thought. But the question of the Bible is a little different. It says, here's the question. How can God, how can you be just and still let people into eternity and still love and forgive? How can that be? That's what the Bible's actually saying. So we say, how can you punish sinners? How dare you, God? But the Bible says, how, how can you like even receive sinners? Does that make sense? Again, how can God be just and loving at the same time? And the best news is, and the solution to that is, we couldn't create the solution, only God could. The solution is, God is so good and so just, he can't overlook sin, and he can only solve it. So to go deeper, Jesus, what did he do? We know this to be true. He died for who? He died for us, 100%. Do we all agree with that? Can we all agree? Yes, Jesus died for you and me. We're sinners and we're dark and it's like, I'm in the darkness, he's in the light, he died for me. However, on this, in the same breath, I just want to go deeper with you for a second. God died, I'm sorry, Jesus died for God. Have you thought about that one? Jesus died for God. And you're like, that's blasphemy. Let me break it down to you. It, ver it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous one, by the way. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, for God. In the Old Testament, okay, they would, they would take a bird or a lamb or a goat and, and us that are sinners, we made a mistake, we did wrong to someone, we stole from someone, we murdered someone, we did something really horrible and treacherous. We would go to the priest in the Old Testament, we would go to the temple, and, and we, would, we would say, gosh, I, I need my sins atoned for. And so the priest would like cut a lamb, kill a lamb, and the blood's all over where, and they can smell the incest. And the priest would say, you're covered now for a certain amount of time. Sorry, I know there's little ones in here, I'm like, got really graphic for a second. You're covered, you're covered, you're atoned. Those, that's, you, there was a sacrifice on your behalf. That's, that's what Jesus did for God, by the way. Why? God can't see evil. God can't be sin. God can't even interact with it. So he needed an atoning sacrifice to set the bar straight, to set the, human, to set the darkness that we could not even get into the light because of our sinful nature. That was Jesus who set that straight. So again, how, how can a perfect, holy, just God love you and I through Jesus? This is the best news of what John's trying to tell us. The purpose of the cross is to show that God is indeed holy, just, and perfect. 
Jesus died then to satisfy the wrath of God that was rightfully due on us. I know I haven't really gotten this deep yet. Are you guys okay? Is it okay if we go this deep? Like, man, it scares me sometimes because, yes, God is love, of course, or else he wouldn't have came for us. Emmanuel, he wouldn't have came in, 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 a, in, in a womb and, and lived among us, right, and, and, and fought and, and wrestled and had strength to bear to take our sins on. God would have never done that if he didn't love us. We talked about this everlasting life and everlasting love last week. But we, we cannot be so naive to think that, oh, my sin is like no big deal to God. He'll forgive me. It's all good. Yes, of course, 100%, which I struggle and wrestle with this all the time. I mean, I, I remember growing up in a community where it was like, it was good, but it was, it was like kind of hard for me as, in a little mind to think like, you're like doomed to hell if you keep sinning like that. I remember hearing that on Sunday. I was like, how do I get up and receive so I don't have that hell and fire and brimstone in my life? But it was like sort of like this emotional decision then because I didn't want that. But it wasn't until I started to realize the goodness and the holiness of God that of course I want to be in the light with him. Of course I want to aim high and do good and, and be just. But I just couldn't amount up to that. Have you ever felt that? Where it's like, man, I just got to do what I got to do, and I'm going to do good, and then you, like, mess up the next moment. And you sin, and you feel this, this brokenness and this separation, and, and, and it's, just, it's heavy, and it's weighing. If you're taking notes, I have two really good thoughts. The cross is not a display of our value as much as it's a display of God's value. Did you hear that? I'm just trying to have some counterformation to our culture. Sometimes it's I and it's me and it's ego and it, what can God do for me? I would argue it's both and, okay? So please hear me. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, that pastor's like crazy. When, when you were on the cross, I used to think this. Oh, God is so good, man. I was on the cross and he saw me. Or he was on the cross and he saw me in the crowd. And he thought, I'm doing that for him. Of course, of course, we wouldn't argue that. But could it also be because he was trying to show the worth and value of God, the holiness of God as he was on the cross? Of course it's for you, but it's also to display this is how holy our God is, that he would die on a cross on your behalf to show the value not of you. Yes, we're, we're awesome. He loves us, of course, but the value of God. And I would argue when our mind starts to shift in that manner from it being egotistic and narcissistic and about me, and it places the value and the worth back on God, I would argue we would live a little bit differently. Here's another thought. The cross is not intended to think highly of ourselves. Instead, the cross is intended for us to think highly of God. I like that one. That one feels better to me. This is, a, this is phenomenal news, and it's real news, by the way. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've messed up. We've made mistakes. And man, we're probably going to continue making mistakes and messing up. But because of Jesus, he took the penalty. He took all of that on himself so that you could know God, by the way. That's really deep stuff. So that I could actually know God and be in relationship with God. In our culture, we have this saying... 
it's not that outdated. I'm not that much older, but it's like the good life. Have you heard that song? Welcome to the good life. And then when we're like, we sing it, it's like, yeah, the good life. And sometimes it, be, could, it could be synonymous with like the party life and, and the this. Or, or as you progress and get older, maybe the good life is having a beautiful home and, and really nice house. And, and, and you have like the perfect family and everything's like perfect and good. And, and maybe that's your personification of the good life. But what happens when that's like stripped away and pulled away? Is it good anymore? Or is it like hard and suffering and difficult and it's, it's tough, Right? We, we're like kind of sold this, this idea from Hollywood that, man, you got to go for the good life. And it's like, well, what is that then? Because it's not very synonymous with feeling good inside. I would argue, honestly, that the good life, this is the good life. I talked about it last week. The good life is being able to go and to sit in my car and to talk to God and to process with God. The good life is when all hell breaks loose, I know where to go. I get right on my knees, I lay flat on my face, and I say, God, I just, I need your wisdom, I need your direction. The good life is to be able to commune with God. That's what I would argue the good life is. You can pull everything away from me, and you, you cannot take God from me. He's within me. He came for me. He came because he's holy and he's right and he's just and he's good and he loves you so much. That's why he came so that you can have, John says, fellowship with God. That's crazy news, by the way. And I want that. And last night, I was just like thinking about all this stuff and I was like, I, I like to write and just put my thoughts on it. And I was thinking, man, like, okay, how, how, do I, how do I benefit from like the craziness and, and the inflation and the housing market. Maybe I can benefit. Maybe Kelly and I can benefit and get a house one day. It can come really down low and I can come in and it would be really good. And I'm thinking all about myself and how can I benefit from my family? How, and I think those are good thoughts to have, but if I'm being honest, they're really selfish thoughts, right? When you go in other parts of the country or the world and people don't even have that concept, they're just trying to find water. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, that, that is why I love participating with the divine, because I get to think. I get to process these thoughts. And the more that I'm shaped by this word, it's, it's, it's forming me into the image of God, into the divine. I don't want to be shaped by anything other than this, because we've seen what happens when we're not shaped by this, right? And I'm not talking about the tyrant evil, wicked misconception of what this book represents. That is not what this is. When you read the Gospels, I mean, read the book of 1 John. It's all about his love and his goodness and his mercy over us, and we get to join with that. And so for me, I'm like, man, I was thinking about this as I was writing these thoughts, and I'm like, I just, I love that I get to, to look inward and, and upward. I get to look within and I'm like, man, there's just some darkness in here, some selfishness. There's things that I do and that I mess up with. But then I look, I look upward, and I'm reminded that <laughs> that's why we have an advocate. You see, you get to walk with light. I get to walk with light. That is the good news. I get to participate with the divine. You get to have fellowship with God. And how do we do this? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's how we do it. We repent. We turn from our ways. We allow God to purify us with 
Honest confession, by the way, like really honest, not just a white lie type of confession. Like I'm talking like radically going against what sin is in your life and honestly confessing that before God. We cannot hide sin from God and from others. It's unwise, right? Especially with a God who loves you and desires to cleanse you. Here's my question to you. When was the last time you asked light, the light, to expose darkness in your life or your shadow side? God, what sin is in me that I have cradled or been okay with? In the same breath, what, what about if you've been messing up and sinning and, and you're so condemned, you can't even like, you just feel like God hates you. God can't stand you like a coward, bro. That's, that's, you have to be careful with both. There's the maturity in both. Because it's like, if you're opposing the sin, then what are you running after then? I would hope you're running towards the grace of Jesus. But you have to be okay with this, 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 this balance at times where it's like, man, he's so good for me and, and he loves me. And I got to just ruthlessly come against this sin in my life. But at the same time, I have to be okay and know I'm embracing this grace because I need it so desperately. But you got to be careful with the both, right? If you follow Jesus for any amount of time, we are really good at manipulating the system of grace, right? We're really good at that. So there are some, again, that are running towards sin, and then there's others that are running from sin, yet we sin regardless. So if I can end with this, if a worship team can, can come on up here, we, we need to get this theologically accurate. The term amazing grace is amazing, by the way. Just the other day, um, I was at the coffee shop. I was actually with Lorenzo and Michalina, and, and I was leaving, and a lady kind of stopped me, and she was like, oh, I see that you had, like, a Bible out. I didn't have the Bible out. It was the Bible that Jackie has at Canterbury on the table. I was like, well, that's not my Bible, but, you know, the owner, she's a Christian, and she had a Bible there. But I, but I, believe, I believe in Jesus, absolutely. And, and she just started crying, and she was like, man, I... She was like, are you a pastor? I was like, yeah, I'm a pastor in, in the city, and I grew up here, and I love, I love this area. And, and she was like, oh, my gosh, like, I just feel like God's so mad at me right now. And I'm like, what do you mean? Theologically, what does that mean? What are you talking about? And she's like, well, there's just things that I've done, but, like, I read the Bible, and, and I pray, and I'm, I'm going back to church. And, like, and then I thought, okay, where's that coming from? Okay, everyone has a story got to ask questions. If I'm being honest, the first thing I thought was, with, was Catholicism. Because Catholicism, at times when it's distorted, says, what do you have to do to get to God? Remember? i got to do all of these things in order to receive God's goodness in my life. And so I was like, what, 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 did you go to church, raised in church? Oh, I, grew up, I grew up in the Catholic church. And I said, okay, you know the Bible, right? Do you read it? Yeah, I do. And I said, <laughs> Paul said in 1 Timothy... He lays down all of these sins, all of these mess-ups in life, and he says, and by the way, I'm the worst of sinners, so thanks be to God that I have Christ. And I said, you have to own and know that you have amazing grace over your life. You can't go a day thinking that God doesn't love you. The moment you begin to, to step into that, watch this, you begin to participate with the thoughts of the father of lies, and that is Satan himself. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. 
You're, you're messing it up. You have to do these things to receive God's love, and that is not what the gospel is. That's not what John is saying. John says again, my dear children, I write this to you so that you'll not, you, you won't sin. I'm, I'm encouraging you, stop sinning. Try, just work on it. Aim high. But if anybody does sin, so he's acknowledging that we will, we have the advocate. You see that language? You have the advocate, church. So please, please don't feed into the lie. He says the advocate, which is with the Father, Jesus Christ. And, and by the way, he's the righteous one. So please, as your pastor, fight against sin with everything in you. But when you do fall short, and you probably will, please don't think that you have to do all of these things to get back to his goodness. He's not good because of what you do for him. He's good because of what Jesus did. That is theologically accurate. And we have to learn this. We have to have a counterformation. You cannot go another day believing that God is angry and coward at you if you are a follower of Jesus. His light has invaded your life through the righteous one, through the one on the cross who said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to pay all of their debt. I'm going to wipe this clean so that you can be, he says, the language of, he says, fellowship with God. And man, that's good. That's the good life, man. I'll be honest, for me, that's the good life. It's hard sometimes financially and trying to make it work and, oh, the, the kids, and it's like everyone's under two and it's just like crazy. And it's like, man, I just breathe for a second. I'm like, you know what the good life is? That I get to talk to you right now, God. That I actually get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, the holy, sovereign, just, righteous God. The one that, as, as Emma said, the, the, the throne of his, his, his robe is just invading the temple and it's so big and it's so magnificent. And when you come to church, you get to participate and worship that God. That ought to change the way you look at life. So stop allowing the father of lies to speak down on you. Yes, fight against sin, but don't do it on your own merit, because good luck with that. Fight with Jesus and the spirit of the, in the, of the living God and his grace and his mercy towards you and, 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 and wrestle and participate with that. You see, we have Jesus. You have Jesus. Jesus has changed everything because you're forgiven, because of the advocate with the Father. I'm forever changed because of Jesus, by the way. Does this make sense? This, 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 this is what changes, this should change your outlook on, on this book. Right? It should. Like, gosh, we, we got to stop saying, of course. I don't want to sound like that, like, older pastor guy, like, no, you're a sinner. But, like, we have to recognize, like, I'm not holy. God's holy. But when I stand in his light, I reflect the righteousness of him, not on what I do, because what I do is pretty messed up, but because of who he is. That is the accurate de depiction of our relationship with God. It's him and him only. It's Jesus and Jesus only that saves us for tomorrow and for today and for eternity. And it's life and it's love and it's darkness that we fight against to stand in light with him. Because God is light. Amen? You received that this morning? You got I just want you to receive that as your pastor. And then I'm done. I'm done. This is the last verse. 
He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins then. Not only for ours here in the local church, but for the sins of the whole world. So don't make it just about you. You can't. When you're in the marketplace, when you're on the freeway in your car, when you're with your business, when you're with your clients, or when you're with your coworkers, you embody because because the light is resonating. It should reflect off of you the goodness of God, the spirit of God, the righteousness of God, the love of God that transforms us, that draws us, that beckons us. That is why we're here, by the way. That is why the local church exists for the world. Yes, for your discipleship. But it's also for the world. We, we must have communion and connection and fellowship with God, not just for us, but for others. Not just for us, but for others.